We are on a mission to help lawyers and law firm owners maximize wealth and achieve financial independence. Welcome to The Lawyer Millionaire with Darren Wirtz from Wirtz Financial Services. In this podcast, we will help you build wealth, minimize your taxes, and plan for retirement with money management strategies designed for the legal profession. Join us in this journey where we help you manage your money so you can make the most of your future. Start feeling confident in knowing you are well prepared for retirement and on track to financial independence. Now on to the show. Are you a law firm owner looking to maximize your success in the field of estate planning? Or maybe you need to get your own estate planning in order. Well, hold on to your seats because today's guest will share powerful strategies, common pitfalls, and insider tips on estate planning and building a thriving practice in this ever-changing landscape. I'm your host, Darren Wirtz, and welcome to today's episode of The Lawyer Millionaire. Today, we have a very special guest joining us, renowned estate planning attorney and author, Stan Miller. With over two decades of experience in the field, Stan has established himself as an expert in estate planning. He's also the co-founder of Elder Council, Director of Wealth Council, organizations dedicated to supporting law firm owners in their expertise and practice development. And I have a copy of his book right here, The Your American Legacy. Welcome to the show, Stan. Very great to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited to learn about your tips for a state planning attorney for our audience and also you know some of your expertise in building a law practice and being successful as a law firm owner before we get into that i'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey and how exactly you became an estate planning attorney and how it led you to where you are today so that it has been a journey that's a good way to characterize it I didn't start that way. When I was at Vanderbilt at law school, and I took the course. I didn't really actually like it because when I took the, the class in the state administration, it, all, it seemed to me like it was all about uh, greedy kids fighting over their parents' money after the parents died. And, uh, and what you realize is that the way law schools work, they use this method. Every law school does it. They use the case method to teach so what happens in law schools is they teach cases, but you only have cases if there was a controversy that ended up in court, right? So I'm thinking this is what estate planning is. It's these greedy relatives fighting with each other. What I didn't learn until maybe 10 years later is that that only represents, you know, 5% of what it's all about. The other 95% is parents, generally parents or grandparents that, that really care about people that want to plan ahead to prevent controversies. And, and whenever I, whenever it dawned on me that, that, that estate planning was really uh, a profession that was about preventing controversy, not about exacerbating it, that motivated me. And I remember, I remember the moment it happened, I, I had been talking about doing this and I had a law partner at the time who said, you know, you've been talking about these living trusts and, and this was back in the day when a living trust was not that popular I mean, everybody does living trust planning now, but back in the day, that was not the case. And so I've been talking to my partner about doing this. And one day he walked in and said, I have a client for you. I've already quoted the fee. And he, he set up the appointment and she came in, sat down. And I, I said, because I'd never done this, right? So I didn't know what I was doing. But I said, well, tell me about yourself. 
And for about two hours, she told me about herself. She told me about her late husband. She told me about her son and his issues. And as her life unfolded, I began to realize what I could do to really make an impact for her. And I'm not going to mention her name on this podcast, but I'm telling you, I remember this person. I remember what she looked like. I remember her name. I remember what her assets were. And I realized at that moment, this is what I need to be doing. And so pretty much on that day, I quit everything else. And I said, this is what I do. And that's where, you know, we ended up, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, at that time, there were, there were no, there were no communities around this. I mean, you know, it was pretty lonely. I was out there by myself. And so through luck or divine intervention or whatever, a group of us got together, we co-founded what came to be known as wealth council and then elder council. And we grew that company to a place where we had about 15,000 attorneys in our community. Uh, but all of that just developed because we needed the connection. We needed the resources that come from being able to get together in a room with other people who, who share the same experiences and have the same kind of clients and, and work together to figure out, you know, what the solutions ought to look like. And so, so it developed, but it, it, but it took, it was a long runway. I must say it took a, uh, it took a long time to really airborne because we had to invent every single piece of it from scratch. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you saw an opportunity there to uh, kind of redefine estate planning as more problem prevention uh, on the front end. And I'm curious, you know, is that kind of the biggest pitfall? What would be the, some of the biggest pitfalls you see with your clients when you're working with them? Is it just not doing the planning ahead of time? What are some of those things that you see? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and this is not a new issue. This is, this has been, this goes back, you know, to the beginning of, of time, I guess, you know, people prefer to put off thinking about their mortality. That's not a, you know, that that's not a new phenomenon for sure. And so, so, the challenge of estate planners is to is to motivate is to get prospective clients motivated to sit down with you and actually do the work, um, and that's always a challenge because people want to find every excuse in the world to put it off, right? So you know, so that's a you know that's a challenge. Now, then the second challenge I think is really really getting clarity around what clients want, and one of the one of the things. I give talks about this, and even in the attorneys that work for me, I have to constantly remind them: you you, you can't be you can't get in in a in an order taker mode. You know, if a client comes in and sits down across the across the table from you, it's really easy to say, uh, "Tell me what you want me to do for you." And the client quite often will say things like, "Well, I came to get our I came to get our will done," and so it's easy to grab the grab a legal pad and say, "Well, what do you want the will to say?" You know. That seems intuitive, right? But what I've learned over the years is that clients don't know how to ask for what they want. Hmm. So it's really often that people will say, I came to see you to get my will done. And what they're thinking is, I need to get my will done because I saw what a train wreck it was whenever my neighbor down the street had you know died and the family had to go through a probate proceeding and so I want to prevent that from occurring. So I need you to do my will. Now, what we know is that if we make a will for them, we're effectively guaranteeing probate, right? So this is a, 
a really common phenomenon where the, the thing clients ask for is not what they really want. It's what the client really wants is to not leave a mess, make it simple, keep it out of the court process, but making a will doesn't do that. We've got to use another tool to accomplish that. So I, I give talks all the time to attorneys and, and I'm saying, you know, don't ask clients what the, what the legal solution is. It's like going to the doctor and telling the doctor, I want a prescription for some medication, right? I work to do and what I, teach other attorneys to do is to ask diagnostic questions that don't use legal words, but are questions that are outcome driven, that get the client to tell us what it is, what their fears are and what it is they want to really accomplish. And, and it's, and the list of things is not that long. I mean, there typically are five or six things, maybe in some situations, eight or nine things, but the, the list is not that extensive. You know, what clients want is to not leave a mess you know, they don't want to pay any more taxes than they have to. They want to keep it out of court if they can't. And then beyond that, there are some other objectives that clients can accomplish that they don't even know they can accomplish. And that's part of what that part of the fun of this job is that if you do the interview right with a client, you can you can get clients actually excited about this process because they can they come to realize that that the tools that we have available to plan are more powerful than they realize. You know, for example, one of the one of the concerns that about I want to say fifty percent of married couples have is a fear that if I die first and my spouse remarries or or doesn't remarry, but you know becomes involved in a new relationship, that that relationship could end up being toxic. The new person could have bad motives. This happens, right? Where, where, where in in the in the grief that people experience whenever they lose a spouse, they land in another relationship, and it just doesn't work. There's a divorce, or uh, it, or at wor worst case, this person is a con artist. We've seen that, you know, a few times, and people see this a lot. It's a this is a concern I found that is. In particular, it's a concern of wives. Most wives know that if they die before their husband, their husband almost certainly will be married in a year or two because every wife knows that husbands can't live without, you know, female companionship, right? Um, and so they're really worried about what what's going to happen to this guy if they go first. And there are very specific planning solutions that we can build into the state plan to protect for that. But you you don't do that normally unless you ask the question unless the client tells you that's a concern another really common example this is i would say this approach is being universal i ask you know i will ask clients routinely i've done this probably i don't know twenty thousand times in a client meeting i'll ask the client is it important to you that the inheritance you leave to your children be protected in case they get divorced in case they have a bankruptcy or a business failure or get sued by somebody, is that important to you? And my experience is that my the clients that I've worked with over the years, probably 95% of them will say yes to that. But what they also will say is, I didn't know I could even do that. So that, to me, that's one of the really you know that's one of the one of the real opportunities in this space 
that attorneys need to know. I think that 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 question, you know, just ask that way, you know, is it important to you that the inheritance you leave to your heirs be protected from divorces, lawsuits, credit claims? And sometimes also, I would add financial immaturity, right? And clients almost always will say yes to that. And that's true, even if their children are solid grownups in great relationships, they still worry that, you know, that things could happen. And so, uh, so I think the challenge for us is really asking the right questions, peeling back what it is that clients really want, and then developing a plan that like, is like a fingerprint that, that, that meets the unique needs of that client, rather than just being the order taker that lets the client dictate what they want, which in almost every case doesn't get the client what they really want. I love that. That is so good. Asking really good questions. You know, and I do a similar thing when it comes to financial planning. You know, there's a, a financial planning process, you know, it's commonly known. It's a six-step process. But what I find is everybody's so unique. And you're so right. It's not just about, you know, going through a, a preset uh, set of uh, documents or processes, but really understanding where the client is, where they're coming from, and what the solutions are going to be that's best for them. That's great advice. I think that carries over into many areas of law, you know, not just state planning, but other types of firms and how they're dealing with clients. One other thing I'd like to add to that comment yeah. is that over the years, uh, I've, I had the, I've had the increasing awareness that, that in estate planning, you know, the clients certainly do come to see estate planning attorneys to talk about creating legal documents so that it, it makes clear who gets my money, my property, and does it in a way that accomplishes those objectives we talked about and saves the state taxes, whatever. But one of the things that I, I became increasingly aware of over the years is that there's another motivation that people have uh, that doesn't get explored. And that is the need to leave <clears throat> uh, a non-financial legacy to younger generation family members. And by that, I mean to leave good kids, to leave good grandkids. I, you know, I, I really think that, and this is really what motivated me to write this book because I kept hearing this need expressed by clients to me. And I was frustrated because I didn't have the toolkit I needed. Because, you know, I mean, one thing lawyers hate is to have clients present them with a challenge that they don't have solutions for. So I, I just said, well, if I block the time and make the effort to write a book about it, it'll force me to think through those solutions. And so that's what I did. I wrote a book about those solutions. And, and so most of that book that you held up a few minutes ago is really focused on how to transfer non-financial wealth, which mm. I found is something that is compellingly important to almost every client, but they don't tell you that in the meeting because they don't think you're a guy that, that, that can have anything, that, anything to say or do about that. And so what I'm working to do, and my goal is to live long enough that, that I can make this dimension of estate planning ubiquitous. You know, I'm hoping that I can look back, you know, in 10 or 20 years and every estate planning attorney in America is routinely asking questions about, non-financial wealth are, are there important values that, that you want to make certain get passed on because in at the end of the day you know if what, what 
uh, what does it really matter? You know, if I save taxes and save probate fees and all that, what does it matter? You know, if my kids aren't aren't doing Thanksgiving dinner together, what you know, if my kids are, you know, become you know become drug addicts, you know, what I really want is to have kids and grandkids that are good citizens that are making an impact in the world, that that are making making you know my family brand better in the, in terms of the impact they're leaving on on the on their families their communities and the world right that's what i really want and and i really believe that estate planning attorneys and i'll also say to a large extent i think this is true for financial advisors is i think that we are in a unique situation when people come to sit down with us to talk about their estate plan, or when they come to sit down with a financial advisor, especially if the conversation involves life insurance, because life insurance is something that, you know, for the most part, you know, is a death benefit. I mean, I know there are other features to life insurance, but, but when you have a conversation about life insurance, there is an implicit acknowledgement that I'm going to die someday. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, People aren't always thinking about this. They're not thinking about that, you know, whenever they're at the pharmacy or at the supermarket, you know, buying food. But whenever they come sit down with me, there is that moment, in that moment, when they're with me, they're here to talk about their mortality. And they recognize that. And so what I know is that if I'm good at what I do, if I'm if, if I have a good understanding of all the tools and resources that are available and really create a lasting multi-generational impact, the universe opens up to me. And in the moment when this client is sitting there in front of me, I am in a position to actually say things and do things and offer ideas and make recommendations that really and truly can have a ripple effect over a long time horizon. And I think about this because you know, people that have studied this say that in the next, what, 20 or 25 years, we're going to have, what, 70 or so trillion dollars that, that, that that's going to pass hands. And, and it's going to pass hands, you know, Darren, it's going to pass hands from the hands of people that, for the most part, earned the money. And it's going to pass into the hands of people that did not earn the money. And just if you think about that, I mean, the, the number is so staggering. This has never happened. You know, we don't have any sociological data to even speak to what are the implications of this because it's it's historic. It's never it's never happened in all of humankind. We've never had this kind of wealth around to be transferred. And so, yeah. when you think about the implications of having seventy trillion dollars pass into the hands of people that didn't earn it, the opportunity for mischief, for disaster, you know, for for damage. To that generation is incredible, but the but mm-hmm. it's also true that the opportunity to do incredible, amazing things is there also. And so I think the challenge for us as planners is to really see ourselves not just as as document creators, but as professionals who are in a unique who, who can be present with clients at a unique moment in time when we can be truly influential where we can introduce and share ideas that, that can be implemented that have, that have a lasting impact for time. I just think what we do, it, it has to be a calling and, yeah. and the, 
the, the power the power that we bring the the, the power we have the say so the opportunity that we have to make an impact on the world is probably m- more than is the case with any other profession yeah that's awesome and so i, I want to dig deeper into that non-financial transfer what are some like when you you work with clients in practice in practical terms what do you see what are some examples of what that looks like that non-financial transfer and how you help clients address that aspect in particular yeah so that was always a challenge right not not having clients that i mean most clients want to do that the issue is how do you do it what ideas do you introduce and how do you get granular and practical so, so there are, it turns out good news. There are lots of things that we can do. So for almost every client, what we encourage them to do is to, is to write a, a trustee letter. Because if, if we're going to create a, let's say a subtrust or we're, we're going to leave assets in trust for our children for a while, maybe they're too young to really manage the money. And so maybe we're not going to have them really take control of it for, a while, maybe to the 30 or 35 or 40. So we're going to have to have somebody else in charge of that trust. Right. And if that, I mean, that might be a family member, but it also might be a corporate trustee, a bank trust department. And the fact is that that bank trust officer, whose job it is to do that probably will never know us and won't know our children. So we encourage our clients to write a letter that's not legally binding, but a letter that really comes from the heart. It says, here's why we created this estate plan. And here are the specific concerns we have. Maybe we have a concern that we have a a son or daughter that has an addictive behavior pattern or is in a bad relationship. And we want the trust officer to know about that. We also, we encourage our clients to write in these letters aspirationally what it is, what outcomes we really want. Now, for example, it's really common for clients to, to say, you know, I don't, I don't want this wealth I've created to destroy my son's work ethic. I want to create financial security, but also I don't want him quitting his day job. And I think, you know, if the trustee knows that, and then whenever that, whenever that kid comes into the bank to have a conversation about a distribution, if the trust officer reads this letter and says, Oh, okay, I I get it. You know, I, you know, I, I want to make distributions. I want the trustee to make distributions in a way that, that that support you know my underlying the underlying outcomes I wanted. I want them to have financial security. I don't want them starving. I want to be educated and I want to be able to travel and you know and live their best life. But I don't want necessarily to give them the opportunity to quit their day job and live off of the trust, right? So that's a, an important objective for a lot of a lot of clients. So trustee letters is an example of something that we do that's really common. Sharing, documenting family history and stories is really important. And that's especially important now because, you know, unlike 75 years ago where everybody lived close to each other, you know, the grandparents knew the grandkids, right? Now, you know, you know, we've all, you know, we live in, on the other side of the world. So these stories don't get conveyed. So they have to be captured, written down or recorded, you know, in some format, in a book or in a video or something. So there's that. Uh, another really good example of a strategy that is not difficult to implement, costs nothing to do, 
to, nothing to implement is to have the senior generation write a letter, a written letter to that child. These letters are just incredibly powerful. Mm. People need to hear that they're loved. They need to hear that that they were that that, that they matter. And in the in in what parents can say in these letters can have just an incredible lasting impact. Not not necessarily when the kid's eight years old. Like at that point, the kid may not care, right? But but when the kid's twenty five or maybe on the wedding day, you know, these letters you can read those, and it's like you know you may not be here to say these things, and so you need to say them. I you know one of the things I've really come to appreciate is that. When you love people, when, you, when there are people out there you care about, you need to tell them that often. Tell it, you know, uh, you, you know, I mean, don't worry about overdoing it. You know, there's no risk of that, right? You've got to say it and, and say it in really clear terms and, and not make it conditional, right? We don't want to be loved if we're good enough and measure up, right? We want to be loved like we are. And you need to be told that. Darren, you need to be told that. <laughs> about the people that are close to you, you need to be told, I, you know, I love you like you are, not... I love you if you will be successful, if you'll become a millionaire, whatever. It's like, no, I love you like you are. And parents need to say that to their kids. They need to put that in writing so the kids can read it for decades after yeah. parents gone. And and that's not hard to do. Yeah. And it's so powerful. You're so right. You know, in your last act, something that can live beyond you to be able to send a message like that. You know, unfortunately, I've seen, you know, families where it's been the opposite you know, and um, someone's written out of the will or something happens. And, and that that's such a tragic thing. You know, life is, is about so much more than that. So I, I really appreciate that message, Stan. And unfortunately, you know, we're coming kind of near the end of our time here. So I want to ask a few more questions. You know, you've, you've built a successful practice. You've done some great things in estate planning. And, you know, what advice do you have for other law firm owners or for the attorney or law firm owner listening to this, who wants to become the next Stan Miller, <laughs> what has, uh, have been some of the secrets to your success that you would love to share with other, uh, attorneys? So great question. Uh, and if I were going to make the list, there probably would be a number of things on it, but, uh, just a couple given the, you know, the time we've got left here. One is I would say, to uh, really learn to listen. Listening is such an incredible tool. When you listen, when you learn how to create rapport with a client or a prospect, and there's kind of an art to how you do that, and that's a longer story, but I think studying how to do that, reading books or watching videos or whatever, there's some basic tool skill sets you can develop. You're not going to, you will not accomplish anything with a client until you have rapport because re, re, out of rapport comes trust. And when clients trust you, they will listen to you. They will follow your advice. If they don't trust you, they're not going to do that. They may not even hire you. So you've got to learn how to create rapport and then you have to listen. And, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a book I read once by this guy named Donald Miller. It's called Story Brand. Really, I don't know if you, you know the book, but right, and that book really influenced me. And he says that all successful businesses are really built on a movie script. And the key point, the key takeaway from that conversation, I think, for the question that you're asking me is that attorneys need to understand that, that they're not the star of the movie. 
they're the mentor of the movie. You know, you know, in Star Wars, you know, we're not Luke Skywalker. You know, we're Yoda. We have to remember we're the Yoda character, right? It's our job to be, you know, to listen and be the source of wisdom and come up with a plan that works to solve this client's problem after we have patiently gotten them to really tell us what they really want, not in terms of what legal documents they want, but what they really want to accomplish. We've got to understand that first. And then we've got to bring the education, the training, the skill set to really be able to do that. And fortunately, the, the, the tools are there now. You know, I, I didn't have those tools when I got in this space you know, 35 years ago, but now we're swimming in it. I'm kind of envious of the young people that get into estate planning now because I mean, when I just go to the Wealth Council website, for example, and I look at all of the recorded videos on different topics, it's like, my God, I can, you know, I can, I could get a graduate degree sitting at home just watching Wealth Council videos. You know, mm -hmm. so we, but we do have to come to the conversation prepared. We have to know how the mm -hmm. tools, what the tools are, how they work, how to implement them. So there's a certain amount of craftsmanship in this too, right? We have to know how to do this. Yeah. Uh, but, but we have to listen first to know what the need is and always be on guard about becoming robotic in our solutions. You know, if the, what is it they say? If the only tool you have is a hammer, the world becomes a nail. <laughs> and we've got to be really careful that we don't fall into the trap of, we just do living trust or we do Medicaid trust or we do this thing. It's whatever we do for a client, it's got to be uniquely reflective of what they need to have done. And, uh, and so we've got to be able to listen and discern that. And then we've got to have the skill and training to be able to really deliver on it. That's great stuff. I've got one more question for you, Stan. Something we ask all our guests. Sure. Love to know what your dream retirement looks like. I don't know, maybe you're dabbling a little bit in that now, perhaps. Share us, share with us a little bit about that. So my answer is a good bit different than the one my wife would like to have it be. But uh, I don't really you know. I've sort of had this attitude, you know, I'm, I'm watching what Warren Buffett does. And when I see that he's retiring, then I'm going to start thinking more seriously about it. Right. But, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, uh, I think this whole concept of retirement, maybe Western or maybe even an American concept. If you look at, like I read this book the other day called Ikigai. And one of the things it was a book about how to live a long and happy life. And one of the things they said in the book is, retirement's not a concept it's universal right and so for me what i want to be able to do is get up in the morning and be constantly stimulated by the opportunity to interact with you know with the world around me with clients and with guys like you and uh, i want to be able to continue to make an impact because i feel like if i if i got to some point one day where i said okay i'm done with all that i'm gonna you know like play golf or whatever you know First, I you know I wouldn't know how to do any of that. I have no skill set at that. But but I don't I don't I don't want to be out of the swim of this. I want to travel more, and so I am working to design my business life so I can like spend more time in other places. But fortunately, you know now with technology, we can have Zoom meetings, you know, with colleagues and clients, and we can be anywhere in the world and do that. And so so I, I want to you know I want to get better. What I do, uh, I, I do want to. I, I, I probably need a couple hobbies I don't have, and so I'm looking at becoming a photographer and getting serious about that. 
but generally I don't, I think if you talk to me 10 years or 20 years or 30 years from now, hopefully I'll be around then, uh, you know, I'll be better at what I do now and I'll write more books and, um, and I'll have a, you know, I'll have a, hopefully I have a better, I, I mean, I think all of us need to have a purpose. If we don't have a purpose, mm-hmm. life doesn't work. And I think our purpose fundamentally has to fundamentally, this is, and I think this is baked into human DNA. I believe our purpose has to be, how do we make the lives of other people better? And when we stop thinking about that, I think that's when we die. I love that. It's so critical to have a purpose. That's good advice. And, um, you know, even for those that do plan on retiring completely, it's got to be to something. You got to have something else that you're looking forward to that you're going to enjoy. Well, real quickly, Stan, why don't you share with us how listeners can find out more about you if they would like to? Sure. So I think the the best way to do that is go to my law firm website, which is pinnaclelegacylaw.com. And uh, you'll learn about what we do there. That's uh, one way. I also have a website, uh, standmiller.com. It's a, a personal website where I kind of tell my own story. And we and I have a new initiative called the Legacy Leaders Network, where I'm getting attorneys and finance advisors and hopefully hypnotizing them and teaching them how to how to take these ideas and, and introduce them to their clients. So 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 there. But I would say go to my, my law firm website, pinnaclelegacylaw.com. And uh and I'm easy to track down. Sounds good. Well, Stan Miller, folks, author of Your American Legacy, thanks so much for joining us today. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us today on The Lawyer Millionaire. If you want to learn more about us, check out our website, thelawyermillionaire.com. There you can find free resources and webinars, grab a copy of my book, or even schedule a time to chat with me about your own financial goals and creating a plan to make them happen. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode packed with useful advice and expertise for law firm owners just like you. We also invite you to leave a review and share The Lawyer Millionaire with your friends and colleagues who might benefit from our discussions. Together, let's empower more law firm owners to achieve even greater levels of success and freedom. Now, take what you learned today and go make your dreams a reality. I'm your host, Darren Wirtz, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Lawyer Millionaire. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to represent investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified investment or tax advisor with any questions you may have regarding your own financial circumstances. 